beautiful audience, and welcome to another exciting episode of Pass the Time Podcast. So, on this episode, I'm going to read three stories. Um, I'm not quite sure if I've read one of them before. Um, the story Smile Dog. I know I've seen the picture about a thousand times, but I can't quite remember if I've read the story yet. So I was looking back on some of my older episodes, and I couldn't seem to find it in there. So if I have read it in the past, I apologize. But when I was looking it over, rereading the story, it didn't seem familiar to me. So that'll be the third story I read. But the other two stories I'm going to read are Persuaded by Chris Stewart and Eyeless Jack. I couldn't find the author for Eyeless Jack or Smile Dog, so... I guess too bad for them. Um, the story Eyeless Jack, I've seen a lot of like posts on like Instagram and stuff, like hashtag Eyeless Jack, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll go check out the story. It must be pretty good if so many people like it. So I went on to uh, the creepypasta.com website, checked it out, and it has like a 9 out of 10 rating, so I was like, oh, this has got to be good. But my reaction to reading it might not be what you'd expect. That's what we call a tease, people. So we'll talk about that after reading the creepypasta, but you know what? Let's just, let's jump right in. Let's do our horror fix. Horror fix. Horror fix. So on this edition of the horror fix, I got some movies to talk about, some television shows, maybe some graphic novel type stuff, but I want to start off with, um, I discovered recently, um, I watch a lot of YouTube Uh, especially like uh, BuzzFeed, stuff like that. And BuzzFeed's a channel that I normally just throw on and it'll have them trying random foods from different places in the world and seeing their reactions. It's uh, kind of funny stuff like that. But they have this um, series called BuzzFeed Unsolved that I think you guys would enjoy. It's all just like unsolved murders, paranormal activity cases, you know, fun things like that. Like some of the stories are like The Exorcism of Annalise Michael, The Zodiac Killer... Um, the Dyatlov Pass incident, which is super creepy, and I think they have like 18 to 20 of these right now, but they uh, tackle these issues with like uh, one person kind of explaining it to the other person, and the other person's usually pretty skeptical, so it's kind of comical how they do it, but it's also very informative and entertaining, so if you guys want to check out some cool, I guess, paranormal investigation stuff and unsolved murder videos... The BuzzFeed Unsolved are pretty awesome, and it's on the BuzzFeed Blue. I mean, they have, like, a ton of different channels within their channel, so I just thought that was something you guys might want to check out if you guys are bored, looking for something fun to watch on YouTube. Now, on to some of the horror movies that I've been seeing trailers for. I'm going to start off with a movie called uh, Death House, and this movie, the plot's kind of, I don't know, not the greatest plot. It's, uh, there's a couple agents sent into this, uh, prison that's kind of like a labyrinth prison filled with inmates, of course, but there's also a sort of paranormal entity inside the prison, and so the plot is these agents go on a tour in there, and then all of a sudden the power shuts off, all the inmates get let out, and it's kind of just like trying to survive in this fucking labyrinth prison. It kind of reminded me of the movie 13th Ghosts. Except the difference between that and this is that uh, this movie is just stuffed with a bunch of horror icons like uh, Michael Berryman from Hills Have Eyes, Tony Todd, of course, from Candyman. There's uh, Sid Haig, of course, from the Devil's Rejects movies and House of a Thousand Corpses. And then, of course, Kane Hodder, which 
is Jason Voorhees. So there's all these horror icons in it, and so that kind of just makes it uh, worth a watch just to see all these guys brought together in one movie. The trailer looked pretty cool. I feel like it's going to be one of those uh, horror movies that's like, eh, like 5 out of 10, but you know what, it's worth seeing just for the cast alone. doesn't have a release date yet, uh, so it's sometime going to get released in 2017, so hopefully it gets released sooner because I'd like to watch it right away. Now, the next movie I want to talk about is, um, I'd never seen a trailer for this until just yesterday. It's called uh, Here Alone. It's a zombie movie that was released in the 2016 um, Tribeca Film Festival. And the actors and stuff, they're not really high profile. It's starring uh, Lucy Walters, directed by Rod Black Blackhurst, I believe. And they've just been in, like, I guess, nothing, no big movies or anything, just kind of TV actors, TV directors. And this movie got, um, it actually won the award, the Audience Award for the Tribeca Film Festival, which is given out to the audience choice for the best film at the festival. So this movie's got to be pretty good if it won that award. Uh, the trailer looks pretty dark. It's uh, a man and his wife. They they have a kid and the whole zombie apocalypse, typical thing is happening around them. So they escape to the wilderness and just live in the woods. But then in the trailer it shows all of a sudden she's without her husband, without her kid, and she meets these other two people. And so I think the movie will be like kind of backtracking on what happened to her husband and her child while she's trying to survive with these two new people. But it looks pretty good. It looks more like a thrilling type zombie movie. Uh, it takes place in the woods, which is kind of cool. Usually they'll have it in the most zombie movies coming out. It's like in a big city, stuff like that, like Dawn of the Dead stuff, World War Z. And this one just looks like, I don't know, it looks really hopeless. Like the reality of a zombie apocalypse being stuck in the wilderness kind of by yourself the terrible shit that can happen. So I'm really excited to see this. It comes out on March 31st. So I tried to find it online because sometimes film festival movies get leaked. Couldn't find it, unfortunately. So I'm going to have to wait for its uh, North American release. And so will you guys, unless you guys are some sort of wizards that can find a copy of it and watch it online. So that's all I know about that one. And let's move on to something that got me pretty disappointed. Uh, I don't think I talked about this yet. A lot has happened in the, I guess there's almost a year since between my releasing of podcasts and stuff. I released one last week. Luckily, I'm releasing one now, trying to pump out as many as I can for you guys now. But uh, I was super excited for the reboot of the television show Tales from the Dark Side. It was uh, written or going to be written by Joe Hill. He wrote a few episodes and he, of course, is probably my favorite author right now, uh, at least for my generation. He's like our generation Stephen King, which, considering he's the son of Stephen King, is, I guess, a pretty good comparison. But they were making the show, and then it got canceled, of course, because everything I want to be made gets canceled <clears throat> Friday the 13th. And at least he's kind of used the scripts that he has written to put out some content. He released a book called Tales from the Dark Side, and it's just the scripts. It's a $15, $20 book, but if you wanted to see exactly how they would have played out on film, then make sure you check out that book. But if you're like me, and a lot of the time you prefer some visual stuff to go along with the words, Joe Hill's actually releasing a graphic novel called Tales from the Dark Side. Using the scripts that he'd written, he's written three short stories, and they are being uh, illustrated by Gabriel Ramirez, who I believe worked on, with him on the Lock and Key series. And that's getting released on the 17th of March, so pretty damn soon. 
So I'll probably be picking that up. It'll be like a $20 graphic novel, and it'll be pretty sweet. I just kind of wish that uh, they could make it into a TV show. I mean, why not? Why not? Bullshit. But along with that, uh, if you're a Joe Hill fan, he just released his graphic novel collection, um, including, I think it has five stories. It has The Cape, Kodiak, The Cape 1969, Thumbprint, and, of course, Wraith, which is the kind of, uh, it's like a prequel to Nosferatu, the book he wrote, which is an amazing book. But it's a pretty good deal right now. You could buy it for $51 on Indigo.ca, or I think it's like 65 bucks in stores, which isn't too bad considering just the graphic novel Wraith alone is about 40 bucks right now. So you're paying an extra 10 20 bucks, and you get four more stories. And it's pretty dope. I mean, The Cape was adapted from one of his short stories from 20th Century Ghosts about this kid that he believed he had this magic cape and could fly, and he kept, like, jumping off roofs and, like, hurting himself like a fucking idiot. But it turns out he was right, and everybody had been discounting the fact that this kid's an idiot and he's just jumping off shit with a cape. But then all of a sudden he can fly, and he takes vengeance on everybody who doubted him. It's a pretty messed up short story, so I'd like to see where he goes with the graphic novel version. But I can only assume it'll be fucking gold. Now, sticking with the anthology horror genre here, uh, I posted on the Facebook page about this. Um, it's M. Night Shyamalan. He's revamping the Tales from the Crypt series, which, of course, is one of the best anthology horror series of all time. I mean, the Crypt Keeper, super fucking scary. And I love reading the old uh, Tales from the Crypt comics, like the EC archives, things like that. And in fact, I just met the Crypt Keeper like a month ago in Niagara Falls. I was in this wax museum, and there he was, just sitting there. Got a nice selfie with him. Didn't say much. Just sat there, being all creepy like the Crypt Keeper. But back to the Tales from the Crypt news. So M. Night Shyamalan is taking the reins on this show. TNT is the network that is supporting it. And TNT wants to do like a big like horror block, so... They want to have uh, Tales from the Crypt and then like have it sandwiched between a couple other shows. And the other shows are called, uh, one was called Creatures. I couldn't find out too much about it, but I could only imagine some sort of uh, monster type show involving creatures. The other one, though, it's called Time of Death, and that's just the working title for it. But uh, the first season is supposed to pay homage to the slasher films of the 1980s. And then future seasons are going to be inspired by like other horror subgenres and stuff like that. So it might kind of be like American Horror Story, where they take a certain uh, subject and then make a whole season around it and then just reset, maybe with the same actors as uh, previous seasons, and just tell a new story, which I love that. American Horror Story, one of my favorite shows. And I'm just really excited that TNT wants to, like, create a whole block of scary shows, like, to sandwich together. It kind of reminds me of being a kid and watching, like, AMC or Space at, like, midnight, and they just have all these scary movies or scary TV shows that usually aren't on during the day, so you're not really exposed to them. All right. Oh, what? There's also a channel. It was called, uh, it might have been called The Fear Network, something like that. And it would just have, like, Twilight Zone episodes sandwiched with Tales from the Crypt episodes, and it was just like the best time ever as a kid. But hopefully they kind of do the same thing, just have this awesome block of horror that we can watch and enjoy. And I'm just hoping for nothing but the best. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan, say what you will about him, he's had hits, he's had misses, but he is a pretty creative mind. He puts out some really good stuff, also puts out some pretty shitty stuff sometimes. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Split, but I loved that movie that came out like last year called The Visit, and 
with a bunch of just like uh, short anthology episodes. I mean, he'll bring in different writers, he'll bring in different directors and stuff like that. So you just get a bunch of crazy minds working together to create something amazing. So I'm just hoping for nothing but the best. Don't know when this is going to start, but I guess they're in, it's at least in the works. Let's hope it doesn't get cancelled. I will be fucking pissed if it gets cancelled. But then again, mostly everything horror-related gets cancelled, so we shouldn't get our hopes too high, but I'll get mine high. I don't care. I don't care. Well, that's pretty much all I have to talk about for the horror fix. Oh, actually, uh, last episode I was talking about, uh, reading a Goosebumps Series 2000 book that I found. It's called Haunt or Headless Halloween, and I did read it right after recording uh, the last week's uh, podcast. And let me say, this is a pretty dark Goosebumps book, especially for R.L. Stein. I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, the kid in it, he fucking dies, and it's pretty brutal. He jumps like a ravine and falls into like uh, this pit of rocks and just gets fucked up. Big time fucked up. I mean, this kid kind of sucked. Like, uh, throughout the story, he's, like, pranking and scaring people, and he's a total fucking dick to all, I guess, his little sister and his cousin. And, yeah, he fucking dies. And then he gets, like, uh, brought into this Halloween party with all these other kids after he thinks he jumps the ravine. And they make him eat bugs, and they fucking torture this, like, torture him. It's pretty, pretty intense, like... RL, you really went there. Probably the darkest uh, Goosebumps since uh, Welcome to Dead House, which was the first uh, first Goosebumps book released in the series, and that one was pretty fucking messed up. But this one, you know, kids don't really die too much in the Goosebumps books. And this one? Died brutally. I guess he had it coming. His fault. But if you want to read a Goosebumps, check out Headless Halloween from Series 2000. Pretty dope. Pretty dope story. Well, that's enough about that. Uh, just thought I might let you guys know. Let's uh, let's get into the creepypasta, shall we? I think we're going to start this one off with Eyeless Jack, because I know I've been uh, keeping you in suspense with how I feel about this one. So, let's jump in. Here we go. Hello, my name is Mitch. I'm here to tell you guys about an experience I had. I don't know if it was paranormal or whatever stupid words people use to describe supernatural phenomena, but after the thing visited me, I believe in that paranormal trash now. A week after I moved in with my brother Edwin, after my house was foreclosed, I finished unpacking. Edwin liked the idea of me moving in, since we hadn't seen each other after 10 years, so I was excited too. I soon fell asleep after I moved in. After that one week, I heard rustling noises coming from outside at about 1 in the morning. I thought it was a raccoon, so I ignored it and tried to fall asleep. The next morning, I told Edwin about it, and he agreed. The next night, however, I thought I heard my window opening and a loud thump as if something entered my room. I darted up and looked around my room, but I saw nothing. The next morning, Edwin dropped his coffee cup when he saw me. He held up a nearby mirror, and I saw myself. I had a large gash in my left cheek. After I was rushed to the hospital, my doctor told me that I must have been sleepwalking, but then he showed me something that made my blood turn cold. He lifted up my shirt to reveal a sewn-up incision where my kidneys were. I stared in his eyes, my eyes widening. You somehow lost your left kidney last night. We don't know how though. Sorry, Mitch, my doctor told me. The next night was my breaking point. Around midnight, I woke up to see a truly horrifying sight. 
I was staring face to face with the creature with the black hoodie and a dark blue mask with no nose or mouth staring down at me. The thing that scared me the most was that it had no eyes, just empty, black sockets. The creature also had some black substance dripping from its sockets. I grabbed the camera nearby on my mantle and took a picture. After the picture took, the creature lunged at me and tried to claw open my chest to get at my lungs. I stopped it by kicking it in the face. As I ran out of my room, I grabbed my wallet. I would need the money. I ran out of my brother's house into the night. I eventually ended up in the woods near Edwin's house and tripped on a rock. I fell unconscious and woke up in the hospital. My doctor entered the room, the same one who treated me before. I have good news and I have bad news, Mitch, my doctor started. The good news is that you had minor injuries and your parents are going to come pick you up. I sighed with relief. The bad news is that your brother's been killed by some thing. Sorry. My parents took me back to Edwin's house to collect my remaining belongings, which I did. Upon entering my room, I was scared, but remained calm. I grabbed my camera and stopped dead in my tracks. In the hallway leading to my room, I saw Edwin's body and something small lying next to it. I picked up the small thing and entered my parents' car, not mentioning Edwin's corpse. I looked at the thing I had picked up and nearly vomited. I was holding my stolen half-eaten kidney with some black substance on it. So that was uh, Eyeless Jack, the creepypasta. And let me start off by saying, if that's a crappy pasta, like in being intentionally bad, intentionally poorly written, intentionally stupid, then that gets full marks. I mean, good job. But from everything I've been reading, it's a legit creepypasta that somebody wrote intentionally to scare people, which was not... It's not really scary if it doesn't make sense or if it's just completely fucking stupid. I mean, the writing was awful. The <laughs> sentence structure just... its They don't know how to form proper sentences most of the time. So that really bothered me. And there's just like... A bunch of things that were stupid, like, after he'd lost his kidney, he's like, the next night was my breaking point. I mean, you, lo- you lose your kidney, you get the fuck out of there. That's so stupid. And what the fuck is with, like, his the doctor character? I mean, you'd think he'd open with telling this kid that he fucking lost his kidney, and he wouldn't be like, oh, we don't know, we don't know how, though. Sorry, Mitch. Or when his fucking brother dies, he's not gonna be like, oh, we have some good news and some bad news. I mean, like... You just had, like, minor injuries. Oh, sorry, but your fucking brother's dead. Sorry. And he just says sorry like a fucking asshole every time. And also at the end, when he picks up a fucking, the kidney, he's like, oh, there's something small laying next to it. I picked up the small thing and entered my parents' car. I'm pretty sure you'd look at it and be like, holy fuck, that's my kidney. Instead, he picks it up, walks all the way to the car, and then he looks at it, and then he's like, oh, I almost vomited. It was my stolen half kidney with some black substance on it. Um... Yeah, that's fucking stupid. You would have just looked at it and be like, what the fuck? And why is Edwin's body still at the house? Why hasn't the body been removed? I mean, if the doctor knows that his brother's dead, then I'm assuming the police would. Unless the doctor is Eyeless Jack. Oh my god, I figured it out. That would make sense, huh? Because then when he came in, doctor just fucking conks him out, takes out his kidney then. Ah, that would, yeah, yeah, maybe. No, I don't think the writer's that clever. But just fucking awful i mean i'm gonna rate that one star out of ten i mean the characters were bad the villain eyeless jack didn't seem very original to me just some fucking idiot in a blue mask and just awful that was just awful i'm sorry to everybody who enjoys that creepypasta but 
fucking it's bad it's just bad okay let's let's move on to the next one hopefully hopefully it's a little better actually i guarantee it's a little better because we've hit the bottom of the barrel there's nowhere to go but up so here is persuaded uh let's see who this one's written by i believe i actually found the author of this one. Oh, written by chris stewart now i'm just gonna assume this was written by the nhl player chris stewart used to play for the avalanche and the st louis blues so it's nice for you to take some time out of your busy NHL schedule to write a nice little creepypasta for us. Thanks, Chris Stewart. This is Persuaded. It's been two weeks since the whole thing started. It all started with a tanker accident. It was all over the news. Everyone thought it was just another oil spill. There were plenty of volunteers, plenty of people wanting to help the poor defenseless animals, plenty of victims. Within hours of the tanker accident, it started happening. The animals had gone crazy. They were scratching and biting the cleanup volunteers. They said that it was an adverse effect to whatever was in the tanker. Rescue workers were still trying to get the crew out of the ship. They could hear screaming inside, screams to open the doors. But that's when it all went to hell, as soon as they cut the door out. There was a six minute broadcast before it went silent. Six minutes of screaming and agony. The ship crew attacked the rescue workers like rabid baboons breaking bones and tearing flesh. The people on the shore weren't faring any better. Those that had been attacked by animals were attacking everyone else. It was worse than any war zone report. It was sheer brutality. And yet the broadcast still went on for six minutes. Six minutes and then blank faces. Nobody could explain what was happening. They tried to continue with regular news. The economy, the weather, a cute human interest story, but they couldn't make us unsee what we saw. I tried to continue with my regular existence, but every time I switched on the news or walked by a newsstand, it was there. This big mystery. They had some explanations, some kind of infection, brain parasites, but it didn't matter. It wasn't an infection that we were afraid of. It was them. Four days after the initial report, the state of emergency was raised. And yet we'd all seen this before. Every zombie movie ever. People didn't know who to trust. People were stockpiling food and weapons. Some tried to flee, but it seemed every zombie movie was right. They didn't make it. Three days later, they arrived in my town. I expected moans, shuffling corpses, dismemberment, but that's where the movies lied. They ran through the streets, screaming. I remember running to my front door as fast as I could, locking, barricading, doing anything to make sure that it would stay shut, and then I headed for the window. I was on the second story, and I could see the carnage. They were unstoppable. They were aware. A group of them made their way through a building across the street. They jumped straight through the plate glass windows. Even the shards slicing through them made no difference. They just kept coming. My barricade wasn't going to hold. I rushed around my flat, grabbing supplies and jamming them into the most secure room on the flat. I went back for one last look across the street, and I wish I hadn't. In the second story window, my face met one of theirs. They knew where I was. I quickly dashed into the room and locked the door. I don't have any kind of panic room or secure basement, so the safest place I could think of was my bathroom. No windows, one door with a lock. I had filled my sink and bathtub full of water so I could stay for a while, so I sat there in the dark room with the distant screams in my ears. I began to feel like I overreacted. It had been two hours and no sign of them. It actually got quieter and I thought they had moved on. Maybe I could leave the room, get to the kitchen, grab more food and wait it out. But then, a crash came from the front door. 
the sound of someone running full force into the door and knocking down the barrier behind him. There was a couple more crashes before I knew they were inside. Rapid footsteps moving all around the flat, a couple of screams, and then a bang on the wall beside me. My eyes were open to their widest, even in the pitch black darkness of the room. Another bang, and another. They knew I was there, and they knew I was scared. This was the zombie nightmare I'd been expecting from the start. I had nowhere to run. There was only so much time before they would break in. I sat with my back to the door, hoping my extra weight would make it harder for them to get in. And then it got worse. Why won't you open the door? A voice on the other side of the door. No screams or moans, just a quiet, whispery voice. And then more of them. We've come for you. You'll be happier if you open the door. It's not so bad. The whispery voices became a cacophony of noise trying to persuade me, to break me, to fool me. I had heard that moaning of zombies would drive people insane, but this was worse, a siren call. I sat in the darkness and hoped and prayed that they'd get bored, but they don't get bored and they don't leave. I managed to use the mirror to peek under the door, only to be greeted by horrible unblinking eyes, blood smeared faces, screams, and more horrible whispers. That was two days ago. I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe it won't be so bad. So that was Persuaded by Chris Stewart. And before I get into that, um, how the fuck in Eyeless Jack did the main character know that Eyeless Jack was trying to rip through his chest to get at his lungs? I mean, he could have, like, leapt to attack his chest or something, but how would he know he was going for his lungs? And also, how much of a bitch is Eyeless Jack that this kid could kick him in the face? Unless he's, like, some Muay Thai specialist. But in that case, after kicking him in the face, why wouldn't he just beat the crap out of him? I don't know. Eyeless Jack was dog shit. Okay, back to Persuaded. So, this, uh, this creepypasta actually has a 9.1 out of almost 2,000 votes, which isn't too bad. It was a Pretty well-written creepypasta. Uh, it's enjoyable, suspenseful, has zombies. Everybody loves zombies. But these zombies were aware. So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting take. Interesting take on aware zombies. And yeah, I enjoyed it. No real uh, problems with this one. I even like the ending. This person would rather check out, see how it is to be on the other side, rather than being locked in that room. Probably won't be so bad to be a zombie, especially if, you, especially if you're a self-aware zombie. Might even be a little bit of fun. So, I'm going to give this one about an 8.5 out of 10. So, all in all, pretty damn good creepypasta. Much better than Eyeless Jack. So, now we're on to our third and final creepypasta. And this is called Smile Dog. So, I'm sure a lot of you have probably seen the picture online that uh, accompanies this creepypasta. It's a dog with a pearly white set of teeth human teeth so it's a pretty creepy image and hopefully it's accompanied by a very creepy creepypasta so let's dive into that right now i first met in person with mary e in the summer of 2007 i had arranged with her husband of 15 years terence to see her for an interview mary had initially agreed since I was not a newsman, but rather an amateur writer gathering information for a few early college assignments, and, if all went according to plan, some small pieces of fiction. We scheduled the interview for a particular weekend when I was in Chicago on unrelated business, but at the last moment, 
Mary changed her mind and locked herself in the couple's bedroom, refusing to meet with me. For half an hour, I sat with Terrence as we camped outside the bedroom door, listening and taking notes while he attempted fruitlessly to calm his wife. The things Mary said made little sense, but fit with the pattern I was expecting. Though I could not see her, I could tell from her voice she was crying, and more often than not, her objections to speaking with me centered around an incoherent diatribe on her dreams, her nightmares. Terrence apologized profusely when we ceased the exercise, and I did my best to take it in stride. Recall that I wasn't a reporter in search of a story, but merely a curious young man in search of information. Besides, I thought at the time I could perhaps find another similar case if I put my mind and resources to it. Mary E. was the CISA for a small Chicago-based bulletin board system in 1992 when she first encountered Smile.jpg and her life changed forever. She and Terrence had been married for only five months. Mary was one of the estimated 400 people who saw the image when it was posted as a hyperlink on the BBS, though she is the only one who has spoken openly about the experience. The rest have remained anonymous, or perhaps dead. In 2005, when I was only in the 10th grade, Smile.jpg was first brought to my attention by my burgeoning interest in web-based phenomena. Mary was the most often cited victim of what is sometimes referred to as Smile.dog, the being smiled JPG is reputed to display. What caught my interests, other than the obvious macabre elements of the cyber legend and my proclivity towards such things, was the sheer lack of information, usually to the point that people don't even believe it exists, other than as a rumor or a hoax. It is unique because, though the entire phenomenon centers on a picture file, that file is nowhere to be found on the internet. Certainly many photo-manipulated simulacra litter the web, showing up with most frequency on sites such as Imageboard, 4chan, particularly the X-Focus Paranormal subboard. It is suspected these are fakes because they do not have the effect the true smile.jpg is believed to have, namely, sudden onset temporal lobe epilepsy and acute anxiety. This purported reaction in the viewer is one of the reasons the phantom-like smile.jpg is regarded with such disdain, since it's patiently absurd, though, depending on whom you ask, the reluctance to acknowledge smile.jpg's existence might be just as much out of fear as it is out of disbelief. Neither smile.jpg nor smile.dog is mentioned anywhere on Wikipedia, though the website features articles on such other, perhaps more scandalous shock sites as hello.jpg or two girls one cup. Any attempt to create a page pertaining to smile.jpg is summarily deleted by any of the encyclopedia's many admins. Encounters with smile.jpg are the stuff of internet legend. Mary E's story is not unique. There are unverified rumors of Smile.jpg showing up in the early days of Usenet and even one persistent tale in 2002. A hacker flooded the forums of a humor and satire website, something awful with a deluge of Smile.dog pictures, rendering almost half of the forum's users at the time epileptic. It is also said that in the mid to late 90s that Smile.jpg circulated on Usenet as an attachment of a chain email with the subject line, Smile, God loves you. Yet despite the huge exposure these stunts would generate, there are very few people who admit to having experienced any of them, and no trace of the file or any link has ever been discovered. Those who claim to have seen Smile.jpg often weakly joke that they were far too busy to save a copy of the picture to their hard drive. However, all alleged victims offer the same description of the photo. A dog-like creature, usually described as appearing similar to a Siberian husky, 
illuminated by the flash of a camera, sits in a dim room, the only background detail that is visible being a human hand extended from the darkness near the left side of the frame. The hand is empty, but is usually described as beckoning. Of course, most attention is given to the dog, or dog creature, as some victims are more certain than others about what they have claimed to see. The muzzle of the beast is reputedly split in a wide grin, revealing two rows of very white, very straight, very sharp, very human-looking teeth. This is, of course, not a description given immediately after viewing the picture, but rather a recollection of the victims, who claim to have seen the picture endlessly repeated in their mind's eye during the time they are, in reality, having epileptic fits. These fits are reported to continue indeterminably, often while the victims sleep, resulting in very vivid and disturbing nightmares. These may be treated with medication, though in some cases, it is more effective than others. Mary E., I assumed, was not on effective medication. That was why after my visit to her apartment in 2007, I sent out feelers to several folklore and urban legend-oriented news groups, websites, and mailing lists, hoping to find the name of a supposed victim of Smile.jpg, who felt more interested in talking about his experience. For a time, nothing happened, and at length, I forgot completely about my pursuits, since I had begun my freshman year of college and was quite busy. Mary contacted me via email, however, near the beginning of March 2008. Dear Mr. L, I'm incredibly sorry about my behavior last summer when you came to interview me. I hope you understand that it was no fault of yours, but rather my own problems that led me to act out as I did. I realized that I could have handled the situation more decorously. However, I hope you will forgive me. At the time, I was afraid. You see, for 15 years I have been haunted by Smile.jpg. SmileDog comes to me in my sleep every night. I know that sounds silly, but it is true. There is an ineffable quality about my dreams, my nightmares, that make them completely like any real dreams I have ever had. I do not move, I do not speak. I simply look ahead, and the only thing ahead of me is the scene from that horrible picture. I see the beckoning hand, and I see SmileDog. It talks to me. It is not a dog, of course, though I am not quite sure what it really is. It tells me it will leave me alone if I only do as it asks. All I must do, it says, is spread the word. That is how it phrases its demands, and I know exactly what it means. It wants me to show it to someone else. And I could. The week after my incident, I received in the mail a manila envelope with no return address. Inside was only a three and a half inch floppy disk. Without having to check, I knew precisely what was on it. I thought for a long time about my options. I could show it to a stranger, a co-worker. I could even show it to Terrence, as much as the idea disgusted me. And what would happen then? Well, if Smaldog kept its word, I could sleep. If it lied, what would I do? And who was to say something worse would not come for me if I did as the creature asked? So I did nothing for 15 years, though I kept the diskette hidden amongst my things. Every night for 15 years, Smile.Dog has come to me in my sleep and demanded that I spread the word. For 15 years I have stood strong, though there have been hard times. Many of my fellow victims on BBS board, where I first encountered Smile.JPG, stopped posting. I heard some of them committed suicide. Others remained completely silent, simply disappearing off the face of the web. They are the ones I worry about the most. I sincerely hope you will forgive me, Mr. L. But last summer when you contacted me and my husband about an interview, I was near the breaking point. I decided I was going to give you the floppy diskette, 
I did not care if Smile.Dog was lying or not. I wanted it to end. You were a stranger, someone I had no connection with, and I thought I would not feel sorrow when you took the diskette as part of your research and sealed your fate. Before you arrived, I realized what I was doing was plotting to ruin your life. I could not stand the thought, and in fact, I still cannot. I'm ashamed, Mr. L, and I hope that this warning will dissuade you from further investigation of Smile.JPG. You may in time encounter someone who is, if not weaker than I, whom wholly more depraved. Someone who will not hesitate to follow Smile Dog's orders. Stop while you are still whole. Sincerely, Mary E. Terence contacted me later that month with news that his wife had killed herself. While cleaning up various things she left behind, closing email accounts and things like that, he happened upon the above message. He was a man in shambles. He wept as he told me to listen to his wife's advice. He'd found the diskette, he revealed, and burned it until it was nothing but a stinking pile of blackened plastic. The part that most disturbed him, however, was how the diskette had hissed as it had melted. Like some sort of animal, he said. I will admit that I was a little uncertain about how to respond to this. At first I thought perhaps it was a joke, with the couple belatedly playing with the situation in order to get a rise out of me. A quick check of several Chicago newspapers, online obituaries, however, proved that Mary E. was indeed dead. There was of course no mention of suicide in this article. I decided that, for the time at least, I would not further pursue the subject of Smile.JPG, especially since I had finals coming up at the end of May. But the world has odd ways of testing us. Almost a full year after I'd returned from my disastrous interview with Mary E., I received another email. Hello. I found your email address through a mailing list. Your profile said you're interested in Smile Dog. I have saw it. It is not as bad as everyone says. I have sent it to you here, just spreading the word. The final line chilled me to the bone. According to my email client, there was one file attached called, naturally, smile.jpg. I considered downloading it for some time. It was most likely a fake, I imagined. And even if it weren't, I was never wholly convinced of smile.jpg's particular powers. Mary E's account had shaken me, yes, but she was probably mentally unbalanced anyways. After all, how could a simple image do what smile.jpg was said to accomplish? What sort of creature was it that could break one's mind with only the power of the eye? And if such things were patently absurd, then why did the legend exist at all? If I downloaded the image, if I looked at it, and if Mary turned out to be correct, if Smile Dog came to me in my dreams demanding I spread the word, what would I do? Would I live my life as Mary had, fighting against the urge to give in until I died? Or would I simply spread the word, eager to be put to rest? And if I chose the latter route, how could I do it? Whom would I burden in turn? If I went through with my earlier intention to write a short article about Smile.jpg, I decided I could attach it as evidence, and anyone who read the article, anyone who took interest, would be affected. And even assuming the Smile.jpg attached to the email was genuine, would I be caprious enough to save myself in the manner? Could I spread the word? Yes. Yes, I could. Okay, so this is officially the worst episode of Pass the Time podcast ever. I mean, this also had a pretty high rating on uh, creepypasta.com, 9.1 out of 10, out of like 4,000 votes. Uh, I, uh, I fucking hated the story. <laughs> it was, I don't know if, I feel like I was in a pretty good mood today. 
so that can't be the reason I don't like these stories. I think it was just some douchebag that thought he was a lot better at writing than he was. I mean, he used a bunch of giant words that didn't need to be in the story. I mean, you should probably read Stephen King's book on writing. It tells you simple is better. Just get your point across. Don't try to confuse people with words that they don't know. And he didn't even use a lot of the words right. I mean, he used um, indeterminably, which means um, impossible to fix, to describe um, the symptoms that you get after having the uh, after seeing the photo. But then he follows that with a line saying that it could be treated with medicine, but how is that possible if it's impossible to fix? So I think he meant to use a different word, and he just didn't know what word to use. So he's like, oh, this sounds smart. I'll use that. Also, there's a lot of uh, spelling mistakes. Um, he put the word uh, some misses. I'm assuming he meant some cases. I don't know. And he just added words that didn't need to be there. Like uh, he described the floppy disk as a floppy diskette, which the word diskette means floppy disk. So that means that using the word floppy, just you don't even need it. But he described it as a floppy diskette. And then a couple times he just called it a diskette, which makes sense. But, uh, yeah, he did things like that. But this is also the same writer that wouldn't use uh, shortening words. Instead of saying that's, he would put that is. Instead of would, he would put would not. So this person, I don't know. Also, he had a sentence that had the word very four times in it, which just sounded very stupid to say. And I, I don't know. I think this writer, whoever it was, just Googled a bunch of like big words. Like they were constantly online looking up synonyms for different words thinking oh yeah that'll make this story sound way smarter when in reality it just makes it kind of boring and stupid i mean makes you like makes you think the writer thinks he's a lot bigger than he is like chuck palahniuk his writing if it's kind of like that i hate reading chuck palahniuk now because he always seems so preachy and like, oh, I'm so much smarter than you. Blah, blah, blah. That's kind of what this writer did with this story, and it wasn't good. I mean, a picture that gets passed around, gives you epileptic seizures and stuff, and then makes you just want to share, or just visits you in the night, in nightmares, to share the picture. It's not a very original story, not very good, and it was just awful to read. So, sorry for people who liked this creepypasta as well, but... Uh, I didn't like it at all. I'm going to give this, um, I guess I'll give it a 4 out of 10. So, it's not as bad as fucking Eyeless Jack, because that one didn't even make sense. At least this had, like, a plot that kind of made sense. But just the writing really took took me away from it, and I apologize for reading this to you. So, sorry. That's all I'll say about that. Let's kind of... Let's bring the mood back up. Let's uh let's jump into our rate and review. So on this installment of rate and review, I'm going to kind of do uh the same thing I did last time where I do one kind of big review and then just a couple small reviews uh as well cuz I watched a couple movies with my buddy the other day, so I'll do quick reviews of that. But the big review is going to be for Resident Evil 4 that has been re-released for the PS4. It was re-released quite a, quite a while ago, uh, almost a year now, and it is amazing. I mean, if you never played it for GameCube, PS2, the PS3 remaster edition, um, pick this up for sure. Even if you have played it and want to play it again, 
give her a go. I mean, I'd played it on uh, every system, actually. I own it for every system <laughs> that it came out on. And um, I'd never actually beaten the game. Because when I used to have it for PS4 or PS2, I think I got up to chapter 4-2 at least like 80 times. I mean, I'd beaten the game up to that point so many times because my friend, uh, my friend Jeff, he had rented it and left it at my house, but it was like scratched right at like the four point or chapter four, two mark. So there's still like two chapters left and I never quite finished it. And then even when I played it on PS3, just a couple years ago, I got to that same part and then I just stopped playing for some reason. Maybe it was a mental block. I don't know, but, uh, I bought it for PS4 and then I played through and beat it and finally, finally beat it. So that was awesome. But it's visually amazing. I mean, obviously it's better than like PS2 and GameCube graphics, but it was like better than the PS3 graphics pretty drastically, I thought. And it was so smooth. It ran amazing. And I just had a ton of fun playing it. I mean, the controls are a little weird. I mean, after being used to how smooth uh, first person shooters are and stuff in third person shooters, even in this day and age, but Resident Evil 4 is a little clunky in that regard. But I didn't really mind once you get used to it. It's just as fun as ever. And I didn't know this, but I don't know if they had this in the other games because I'd never beat them. But now I've beat Resident Evil 4 on the PS4, and there's a couple extra modes. I mean, after you beat it, you could play a side story where you get to play as Ada Wong. So you're playing it parallel to Leon's story. So while he's in the town getting attacked by everybody, all those fucking crazy things in the town, you're in the town as well trying to go ring the bell and that's the bell that he hears later on that distracts them all and makes them leave so it's kind of cool to play a side story and figure out what Ada Wong was doing while Leon was trying to save Ashley but also there's another mode that is awesome it's called mercenary mode and it's practically like uh, zombie mode in like Call of Duty like it's just a horde mode so there's four levels to play and you start off as Leon, and you get like three and a half minutes, and you kill as many as you can, but throughout the level, there's like little timers that you can get to add more time, and if you get four stars or more, you unlock different characters, so you can unlock a bunch of different characters to play with, to play on these modes, and it just, it's a lot of fun, so it makes it completely worth picking this game up. It's only like 20 bucks, by the way, so if you've never played Resident Evil 4, check that out. Probably one of the best games ever made, literally ranked. But I guess for the people who haven't played Resident Evil 4, or somehow haven't heard of it, uh, first of all, you're crazy. Second of all, you play as Leon Kennedy, a special agent sent to retrieve the president's daughter, who's been kidnapped and brought to this kind of little town that's infect or just filled with all these people that are infected with this Plagos virus or something, and... They're like zombies, but they can, like, talk and stuff. They can throw dynamite and fucking sickles at you. And little do you know, the president's daughter is also infected with this virus. So it becomes you trying to save the president's daughter as well as save her from this virus. And maybe Leon has to save himself from this virus as well. I don't know. You'll have to play to find out. But it's, all in all, best game I think I've ever played. Like, I could go back to it and just keep beating it. Love the game. And there's some awesome boss battles, awesome creepy atmosphere, and just, all in all, 10 out of 10. Perfect game. Except controls are a little weird. So I guess not 10 out of 10. 9.5 out of 10. There you go.
But on to a couple quick little reviews here. Me and my buddy had watched a couple scary movies over the weekend. The first one being Don't Knock Twice. So the Don't Knock Twice movie, there's this evil kind of witch that uh, is terrorizing these main characters, of course. And all in all, I can't even talk about this movie. It was so bad. Me and my buddy watched like 45 minutes of it. And it was hor- just horrible acting. The only person I recognized was the mother who also played the mother in the movie uh, Oculus. And she did a good job in that because she was just crazy and only in it for a couple scenes. But this one, she had to carry a larger role in the film. And she was just awful. So if you were thinking about checking out Don't Knock Twice, just don't check it out at all. I'm, I'll give it like a 2 out of 10. Nothing was creepy about it. It was all just bad, thrown-together jump scares, definitely one you can ignore. Now, I know you may be thinking, AJ, you didn't see the end. How can you rate this movie or tell us not to see it? Maybe it has a redeeming ending. Well, we fast-forwarded to the ending, and the ending was awful. Just god-awful. So take my word for it. Don't see, don't knock twice. Now, the second movie we watched was a movie called Cabin Fever. So you might have heard of it. Uh, This is the remake of the original, I think it was like 2002 Cabin Fever, and this one had Eli Roth attached, so we're like, okay, this is going to be pretty good, because we liked the original Cabin Fever, and we even liked Cabin Fever 2 as like a good B-horror movie. That's a funny one to check out. Some guy gets like infected with it, and his dick falls off. He's like, I didn't even get to have sex, and my dick's falling off. It's it's funny. So check out Cabin Fever 2. This one, not so much. Um, They kind of... It was like a cookie-cutter remake of the original, except just with a bunch of characters that you don't like. Nobody is likable in this movie, whereas in the original Cabin Fever, you kind of like the characters. You don't really want them to die. And the original Cabin Fever had, I think his name was Eric from uh, Boy Meets World. So, enough said about that. Dope-ass movie. So this one, they have your typical teenage couples, and then... Of course, for comic relief, they have this stoner guy that kind of hangs out with them that's kind of an idiot. And this fucking guy brings, like, an assault rifle to go camping with these guys. And in, like, the first fucking... Right when he brings it out, he almost kills his friend accidentally. And his friend's just like, watch yourself. Instead of being, like, beating the shit out of him and taking the assault rifle away, being like, you're a fucking idiot, you're gonna hurt someone. No, he just lets him have this fucking assault rifle. So, like, five minutes later, this idiot runs into the woods and he's just shooting at shit. And then some other guy that's infected just, like, comes by him. He's, like, 20 feet away, and he hears, like, a branch snap. He just turns and fucking unloads into his chest. I'm like, okay, this guy shouldn't have a fucking gun. And the movie just kind of escalates to craptastic from there. Just a bunch of characters slowly dying. They even took, like, some scenes right out from, like, the original. (laughs) And it's like, well, why are you even remaking this? The original is so much better. But there is one thing I could say. This is a spoiler alert if you're going to watch this. There's this one fucking character that uh, he goes to put this girl out of her misery. She had been infected and she's like laying in the fucking shed, I guess. And she's like, kill me, kill me. And he, at this point he has the assault rifle. I'm like, okay, be a good guy. Just put a bullet in her. So he finally, he's struggling with the decision. Then he's finally like, okay, I'll do it. So he clicks with the assault rifle a couple times. And it goes click, 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 showing there's no bullets in the chamber. So he's like, oh, fuck, how am I going to kill her? So he grabs a shovel, like a fucking idiot, and he decides to fucking shovel her right through the mouth. 
And of course he's not strong enough, so it goes like halfway through her mouth, and then she's just laying there gurgling. Do it again. And instead of doing it again and just ending her, he decides, oh, I'm going to pour gasoline on her and then light her on fire because I want to be a total cunt to this chick that was my friend and I want her to die in the worst way possible. So he does that. And at this point, I'm like, okay, this guy's a fucking shithead. He needs to go. And these rednecks come out of nowhere and start shooting at him. And for some reason, when they walk up close to him, they're like, they stop shooting. And the guy picks up the assault rifle, which had no bullets in it like 10 seconds ago. And then he's like aiming it at them and he shoots and it clicks just once, just like a, and, uh, the fat guy's like, you got the safety on. And then he's like, thanks. And then he turns off the safety and kills them all before these fucking guys that were pointing guns at him were able to shoot him once. So that fuck pissed me off bad way for this fucking shitty movie to end. I guess that wasn't the ending. It ended with everybody dies. Oh, crazy. Bad movie. That's probably... It's better than Don't Knock Twice, though. I'll give it that. I'll give it 4 out of 10. It was watchable, but it was pretty fucking bad. So, if you learned anything from this episode of the podcast, it is to play Resident Evil 4, whether it be the PS4 remake, the PS3 remaster, PS2 version, or the original GameCube version. Just get your hands on a copy and play. Uh, Don't watch Cabin Fever remake do watch the original Cabin Fever and Cabin Fever 2. Don't watch Don't Knock Twice. I don't know if I said that. And never read Eyeless Jack again. It was awful. That does it for the show today. And as I always say, try not to have too many nightmares. <laughs>